Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Sunday Forum at St. Luke's Episcopal Church. We're so really happy that you're with us, and I am thrilled to have as my conversational partner a person who is a friend and a teacher, uh, one of the most durable, enriching relationships I have in my life. Um, her name is the Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams. I'll talk in just a minute about her books and what she's established, and she and I will have a conversation about her work, and then we want to get to the heavy questions of the day, which we've been posing to all of these national thought leaders for the last two months. But for right now, let me simply introduce you all to uh, the Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams. Welcome, Angel. Thank you so much. It is so good to see you, and I'm really honored to be here with your community and congregation. Thank you very much, Angel. It's really wonderful to have you. Um, let me say a few things about you and then ask you to kind of fill that out. Um, Reverend Angel is uh, the author of uh, two books, uh, Radical Dharma, Talking Race, Love and Liberation, and Zen and the Art, uh, I'm sorry, and Being Black, Zen and the Art of Living, with fearlessness and grace. And we're gonna come back and talk about all those things. She is a Zen Buddhist priest. She is the second woman of African descent, recognized in the Japanese Zen lineage. Um, in 2020, she began the first annual Great Radical Race Read. Um, and uh, she is the founder of the Center for Transformational Change. Um, and I am, um, let, me, let, me, let me go there. And then there are a couple of other things I want to say about her work. And then we'll talk about her and me. But uh, Angel, did I get all that right? Yep. Uh, we are this, it's the Center for Transformative Change. And, um, and, and everybody says transformational. <laughs> I think we just like, we like the word transformational. And now I think maybe I should have used, used that word. Uh, but it is transformative change. And now, now we're actually not a physical center anymore. So we just say we're a transformative change because we are, like many people, virtual and distributed now. Oh, indeed. We are virtual and distributed. So um, the next thing I, I wanted to quote from a comment you made when you were um, about to go and preach in two Christian services which uh, reveals both your profundity and your playfulness. And I love both of those things about you. You said, queer Buddhist priest preaching in Christian churches. This is what hashtag new America looks like, colon, people welcoming each other as we are is love and liberation. I thought that was a marvelous summary of what I know about you. Well, thank you, Instagram or wherever it is that that was. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a special, special, special social media brain. Um, and, and yes, it felt very much like that. You know, there was a, a succession of invitations from Christian space spaces and uh, yeah, you know, Buddhist and queer and, and and a priest and all of those things uh, certainly wasn't it wasn't it wasn't what I grew up in and so it also had a, a real quality of healing for me to have those invitations extended and and also the experience of being there in that way. Yeah, an another part of the richness of your spiritual presence and energy is that you know a lot from the inside out about Christianity, American Christianity. You had a, you had a moment there in your own life. Do you mind talking just a little bit about that spiritual journey of yours? Yeah, you know, I, I actually, um, one, of the, one of the sermons that I uh, gave was at uh, Howard Thurman's uh, historic church 
uh, there at um, Howard University. And I, you know, I say to people that um, it, it, for mo for the most part, you know, especially at my at my age, uh, all all black folks are steeped in Christianity, um, mainly unless they unless they were raised Muslim. So there's a possibility, of it. but for the most part, uh, you know, there is we're we're all steeped in it. It doesn't matter what tradition that we might have, you know, found ourselves in, whether we're situated in yoga or Buddhism, or uh, Sikh the Sikh faith or anything else. So you know the and that's because the the black community is steeped in christianity in in its formation really um and its formation and its salvation from the um you know the the scourge of racialization and its and enslavement and having you know generated an entire i want to say you know a path that was that that uh, brought forth christ's words and christ's uh path as a as a lover and uh, so I, I can't avoid, I don't think any of us can avoid being steeped in it in some way. And I also had, you know, the periods of time in my life early on where I was, you know, in the choir and, you know, had, had to have, had to have my, my church hat on and all of the things. And so, you know, I know the, I know the culture well from my own uh, lived experience. And, um, and, and so I feel, you know, very much as a result of also these later experiences that have uprighted some of the failings for me of my relationship to the church. Uh, the, the, those those things have been uprighted in ways by having you know gorgeous kin that are that are pastors and preachers such as yourself. Um, you know that has has given me a real new lens into you know all of what Christianity can be uh, when it's when it's situated in love. Oh, that's powerful. Um, I. Well, I'm still taking that in because we're going to get to this in a few minutes about how deeply disoriented I have been around the insurrection on January 6th, mm -hmm. and we'll unpack that a little bit, but it is related to and uh, kind of vibrates with a form of Christianity that needs to be uprighted. Um, so I just want to note that right now, we'll come back to it and go more deeply into it. Before we do that, just still in the service of introducing you um, to these people who uh, worship at St. Luke's in downtown Atlanta, and also a growing number of friends from a kind of an international um, environment. I thought it would really be good to um, to talk about the fact that you and I co-led an interfaith pilgrimage to Southern Utah, to Pando. And uh, mm -hmm. Wesley, my dear uh, colleague, is putting up some photos of you and me and of Pando right now. Um, and I'm simply reminding everyone that Pando is this 106 acre root ball that is one plant and is a beautiful symbol of the oneness of us all. And because you and I had met at a Richard Rohr conference and had really made a connection there and uh, one that was of trust and one of durability and one of candor, which was so enriching for me, uh, we invited all these people. You helped, you know, really make it happen. And uh, here we were on a bus and there we were. Um, during the course of that, Angel, you talked about how what Pando represents is a, a value and a concept that appears in the Buddha's teaching and preaching a great deal. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, you know, so I think we, you know, we talk about oneness and for many of us that are engaged in justice, you know, it, it can uh, express, that can express itself coming from many people that are not doing, you know, what we call the work as a, a bypass, uh, something that glosses things over. And, um, and yet, and still, I have, I come directly out of a deep uh, relationship to the teachings that live inside of the, uh, you know, the, the broad Buddhist teachings, including the historic Buddha that understands the way in which we are uh, arise as a multiplicity out of this uh, 
absolute oneness so that our oneness is absolute but the but the relative reality for us just as in pando you know there are some of those uh, tree shoots that live in the sun and you know and they have you know a beautiful nourishment and nutrients and there are some that that live in the shade and uh and and they struggle and they're they're challenged and you know one of the things that we learned while we were there they are preyed upon and so this uh both things can be true simultaneously and that is very much the notion of the absolute reality and the relative reality that there is both absolute re relative and that they coexist and that one doesn't uh, allow us to uh, our connection with one doesn't allow us to bypass the other. It works the other way around as well, that we are um, intimately related and connected and, and really of one is the driving force of my, uh, I can say here, faith that we can repair and bring upright uh, many of the things that seem to have gone, uh, gone awry, because I think we are, I trust the essential goodness of our of our nature. And there's the relative reality. Yeah. That we don't act as though we're one. Yeah, that is exactly right. So that's where I want to ground the rest of our conversation. Um, I, I'm so hungry to hear from you about what you've been going through, thinking and feeling and meditating about and teaching about, um, particularly since um, George Floyd's murder and Breonna Taylor's murder. Um, I heard you on radio uh, commenting on the protests that have come out of that. And if I heard you correctly, you were saying they are of a different nature and they are a different force and that you were at that point feeling hopeful. And then it's almost as if hopeful about a shift. And, and, and it's almost as if um, right on the heels of that was this horribly contentious election and then a debated president's um, presidential outcome and the absence of a peaceful transition of power and this insurrection finally followed on the heels of what probably was not a surprise to you, but I must, I must admit, I, it really surprised me that it turned out to be a convention of white supremacists and of Christian nationalists. So that's the context, that's the frame by which I'm posing these questions to you and the other thought leaders with whom we've been having conversation. Where are we now? And where do we go from here? So we've got another 30 minutes to unpack all of that. Go to any facet you want. And oh, I'm, I, I just need to say that one of the marvelous moments in my entire life, in my entire life, was when you were on a panel with Richard Rohr and he had given an answer to a question. And you said, Father Richard, may I complicate your answer, please? <laughs> so, I mean, you know that you and I have as a contract that I welcome your complicating my thinking at any moment, Angel. So that's the, those are the questions, my friend. Thank you. Well, I just have to, before I go, I just have to say, uh, you know, for the sake of my, myself as, the, as well as the community of people that will see this, that um, after that, um, that conference or somewhere, actually during that conference, I was, um, you know, mulling around and, and, you know, looking for a place to, to sit with my partner. And, and I saw this, man, you know, big man, big, big white man. And he made a kind of a, a kind of a beeline towards towards me. I was sitting in a, I was sitting at the, at the, in the um, chair to, to, you know, sign books or something. And the, the level of um, presence and generosity 
and uh, familiarity, you know, the like the sense of familiarity that comes from not that. And I know there are black folks here that y'all can understand that familiarity that you're like, hey, you know, like you, but you're getting too familiar here. But the familiarity that um, that that express a confidence in in love and connection uh, was is is one of my most profound moments. And I haven't had an opportunity to say that to you, the, the way that you approached me, the, the sense of ease and grace and um, you know, lack of self-consciousness. Uh, that was something that I just had not experienced uh, very much at all in my life uh, in the body of a white male. Uh, and so it, that was really profound and beautiful and healing. And I was said to my, I'm just like, who is this guy? <laughs> and, uh, you know, we just kept finding each other from there. Yeah. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm just um, honored to be able to be found and refound by you uh, again and again. So thank you for that. Thank you, Angel. So having said that, you know, I want to say it surprises me that you're surprised. Yeah, uh, I know, I know, I know. You know, <laughs> I know. You know and, and I mean, and, and I know it, right? Like, I know that this is the way in which, um, you know, not just white-bodied folks, but especially white folks, you know, especially white folks have been, us, you know, induced into a kind of dream state about what this country is. And so what I most think about what happened is that that is what we created. And so how could it not happen? Like yeah. that has is, and I don't mean that the 45th president created it, you know, that's just a channel that, right, that, that person it was a channel for what has always been here. Um, I actually appreciate the clarity. Uh, I, I, I appreciate clarity in all things. The murkiness and the muddiness of the pretense that that is not what has um, been the underpinning of this nation since its inception has always been, uh, I think for me, the most disturbing thing because it's a kind of, um, not only do, do we have to have double consciousness as black folks and as people, indigenous folks, but we, we are then kind of called to double check and question our own um, perception, like our felt and embodied perception of the danger that exists here, of the deception that exists here, of the, um, the um, you know, the, the, the disconnect that, that, you know, the, the what comes out of people's mouths and, and, the, and the reality, the felt reality that we live in in our bodies, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. And every so often something will come, uh, come about and rise up in the national conscious in such a way that we ourselves are called to remember that we, we may have <laughs> for a moment, you know, I like to say drank the Kool-Aid yeah. and, and, thought, and thought it was, you know, changing in some meaningful way. And the fact is, is that things are changing, of course, but they're changing. Everybody's changing. You know, there's, it's not like just this one piece is changing. And so, sure, you know, black and brown folks, you know, have more access to wealth. And but that but exponentially, that's why, you know, white body people have access to exponentially more wealth. And so comparatively speaking, you know, the whole thing is rolling forward and there are changes in that way. Uh, but the disparity is actually increasing rather than decreasing. And so, uh, you know, the, and, and the tension of that, right, the tension of, of all the gains that appear to be made by uh, brown and black folks, by immigrants and so on, that for me is always there. It's like the absolute and the relative, you know, it is not a linear in the way that you communicated it uh, like, look, there's hope. And now, wow, just when we had hope, there's this thing. It's like, no, that was going on all while the possibility of hope was going on. It was right there. And in fact, I, I believe that, you know, in the same way that the pandemic had very much to do with creating the conditions that allowed many people, uh, especially white folks, to feel themselves and to feel the the danger to feel the disconnect, to feel the truth, to feel the truth of what 
uh, we have been and what we what what this nation has been in regards to uh, you know disregard of you know of black life and and violence and aggression against black people with impunity. So I think the pandemic created the conditions for that because uh, there is enough space. You know, I'm coming out of a tradition that's contemplative, right? Uh, for for there to actually be a felt experience, you know, of like uh, of how painful and egregious and against life uh, that that act is, and and then make the connection, you know, backwards to like, oh, and that's actually the same as Breonna Taylor. And that's actually the same as, you know, as Michael. And it, like, it's, it's, it's the same. And it's the same as Emmett Till. <laughs> like, it writes this, like, roll it back. And it's the same as Martin. It's the same as Malcolm. And it's the same. It's the same energy. And so we can feel the energy. And I think that is where my hope comes from. My hope is not that I think, um, you know, my hope is situated in the fact that I believe that that human that we are essentially good and that we have had the corrupting force of the United States of America and all of its um, uh, capitalist and uh, and and uh, ensla enslavement of peoples in in all different forms, formally and informally, um, at 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 the as the core operating system. So so my hope is placed in the trust of of, of human nature. And so that the quiet, once we get to feel ourselves, whether we feel ourselves in church, whether we feel ourselves in meditation, whether we feel ourselves in prayer, that if we can allow ourselves to feel ourselves, right? If we allow ourselves to actually feel what is happening, what is true, what is real, that actually we'll go, no. So that's what the hope is, right? And, that we, and then we had that space that there, the con conditions created an, an, a mass, um, time out, you know, for the busyness and distraction so that people could feel themselves so that they could say no, not because they took a training or, you know, went to a race conversation or read a book or, you know, got some history under their belt because of the actual human embodied experience of this is a no, this is a no, right? This is against life. Um, and the uh, a very thick <laughs> underpinning of the of the entire system has uh, always been always been uh, certain that you know this nation belongs to them and I wouldn't argue that and uh, you know you you know I mean that's that's been a, a part of our conversation is that I actually wouldn't argue that the America that has been is the America that has belonged to the, exactly these people that um, got together and, as you said, made a convention of white supremacy and 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 white Christian nationalists uh, to assert the uh, truth, the truth that this country is theirs, and that and that seeing their own people, their own right, their own race of people, begin to tune into themselves and, and recognize what, what is going on and push back. I think that that is actually the ground, ground that that's the foundation for the insurrection, even more so than what a president was saying. Certainly it was stirred, but I don't think that that stirring could have even uh, come together as, as formidably as it did without the angst and um, frustration and, and the, you know, the many, uh, you know, hundreds at now of years of, of um, pent up frustration about the fact that black people are free, <laughs> that we choose to be free, um, that, you know, the immigrants, you know, come and continue to, as it has always been, to find their place in the, in the society and, uh, and, and, and are choosing to thrive. So all of those things. All of those things, and all of those, all, all of those things, and that's more. So I, I want simply to acknowledge that systemic racism is a real body of water in which all of us swim, and for white-bodied people, there is a somnolence that can happen of mm -hmm. falling asleep and knowing when there was an eruption that 
all of this was not of God, not of life, not of love, and then falling back asleep and then waking back up. All the while, there's no falling asleep for people in of color, but <coughs> of color skins and bodies who every day are leaving the house with the mm -hmm. presumption of dangerousness mm -hmm. uh, and the dangerous and the presumption of trouble to quote Brian Stevenson uh, with which they're living. And all of that is going on at the same time. And I just simply want to acknowledge that the power of systemic racism is that for certain people, it is relatively easy to fall back out of awareness of all of that until mm -hmm. an eruption comes. I also wanted to acknowledge and just underscore that this systemic racism we're talking about um, has the ability for certain people to be unaware of lynching and how horrible that was. A lot of Jim Crow life and how horrible that was in mass incarceration and on and on and on. And I have dear friends who are struggling with the reading material. We're saying, okay, we have to read this. We have to watch these documentaries. Oh my God, Ed, I didn't know that. And so one of my jobs is to say, right, and we have to know that. Having said all that, um, I guess now I do want you to mm. well. No, let, me, let me stop and see what kind of response you have to that before we go on with another set of questions. You know, I think that there. I think people have to know, and I think that people have to get it in their bodies. I think that the one of the things that uh, remains persistently. Uh, problematic about the way that we navigate race is that race is a is a black people's problem, race is a people of color's problem, and white people have to learn about it, and it's like and that's not it. That actually reifies power. That reifies assumption of power and positional location. And so yes, true that the circumstances it's these are these these are not circumstances where 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 white body people could you know, ignore or fall asleep, you know, just because they're special because they're white. They, it's because it was by design. This is, this is carefully crafted and uh, continuously um, tweaked so that there is a systematic induction of white body people into this somnambulance that you're talking about into this, and I want to say like a, a, a disembodiment a disembodiment that allows for the um, to allows people to intolerate allows white people to tolerate the intolerable, right? And so I, what I think about the 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 what's important is to understand that this is a design because when we just say, oh, you know, white folks are, you know, they can they can just forget. It, it, it's, it has the little kind of, it's like the, the privilege thing. It's like, oh, privilege is a good thing. And, and now you all want my privilege. And it's like, no, I don't want that privilege because you have the, that so-called privilege is actually unearned benefits. And the cost to white-bodied people is this disembodiment that actually has people checked out of reality that's right there. It's not a, just because you don't have to, it's like an actual, dismissal of the reality that is present and has been present and has been here and and subjects and subjects people to selective memory to selective um, acknowledgement to selective awareness it's as if you were standing in a room and you just completely cannot see it renders you blind to something that's right here so that so the don't know is um, insufficient. It's it's not just this like oh I I you know I need to know this information. You need to get it in your body, and you need to be in an inquiry and an interrogation to how could this have been the case? But I can't. Yeah. But I have not known, right? What? And when I say that, because now you're not going to look at black people and brown people and go oh I feel so bad for them, but you're going to say what is going on in my life? What? systems and structures exist in my life 
that maintain this propensity towards slumber, this for, towards forgetfulness. And that's what I feel that is has been missing is that we keep even addressing the, the, the um, fact and realities of racialization in a way that continues to coddle white bodied people and locate them in some position of once again, some, you know, you know, soft ignorance, you know, just, you just didn't know. This is egregious. This is a pain on, on your body too. That says somehow this whole thing was happening for a couple hundred years and you just, you didn't get it. Your people didn't get it. Your parents, you know, so maybe somebody participated, maybe someone didn't, but there is really something to be said for that kind of, um, for having been a part of that reality, right? Indeed. And that the place to look for it is not for like, how can you help somebody else and, you know, and poor them, but rather what has happened to me, what has happened to my people? And as, and especially as Christians, when what has, what has, how, and how has that um, been able to um, sleep alongside, you know, my faith? Indeed. And it is by, I, I'm, I'm wanting to underscore it your point about it is by design. And so when people fall back to sleep, that is what they're supposed to do by this formula, by this design, which raises the question. And it's related to another question I was gonna pose, but let me, it raises the question, what is the ideal design? We're not in the ideal design now. Privilege is not the ideal design our privilege that white-bodied people have into which they can invite um, people of color. We need a different design, right? Am I getting absolutely. it right? Yes, yeah, ab absolutely. And, you know, and I wanna say that that's sometimes hard also for, you know, for black and colored folks to hear because, uh, you know, much of this capitalistic reductionism is that, you know, we're, we're valued by proximity, by our proximity to, to, to white, prescribed culture, right? And so we have more value by getting closer and closer to white ideals and value systems and valuation. And, and so that the answer is not, you know, let, let us as black and brown people, the people that have been denied access and, and so on get more of that, that that's not the answer is also devastating to us because uh, that's, that's what we've been taught, right? Is if we can kind of like slough that other stuff off and, you know, shine ourselves up and, and, and get a little bit closer, you know, to the man, if we get a little bit closer, buy the stuff, you know, get the objects, the material gains, the, the wealth and so on, then, and we can see, you know, that the wealth doesn't protect us. It certainly adds some, you know, some little buffer of, of, of insulation, you know, here and there to the more, um, you know, the, the stronger cuts, but it doesn't prevent us. And it actually maintains that system, right? It maintains the system. And so what we have is this sort of temporary entrance into a club rather than the full-hearted, full-throated belonging and um, unmitigated belonging, unfettered belonging that is our birthright as, as, as the human species um, and should be our birthright as citizens of, uh, of nations, if you if you believe in nation states, I'm, I'm not I'm not completely sold on that. But while we're doing this model, I'll just say should be our birthright uh, as citizens. Should be our birthright, in fact, in this particular country, as um, as the many peoples of the world that have come, because the only ones of us that are that are that are not immigrants <laughs> to this country are First Nations people, and 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 uh, Native Americans, and and so. That is um, also something that we have to reconcile with, that there's a way that we're also complicit. So the ideal design for me is to, um, is to deconstruct it and to reconstruct it in, in, in a time space that, that is actually uh, able to ho hold the complexity of who we are as a country now. And, and with a vision of equity for for all of us, including, uh, you know, women, 
which was not the case when the constitution and everything was uh, put together and the ideals and so much of these systems. I mean, we have institutions that, you know, predate, literally predate the, the country, <laughs> right? The formation of the country. And so what do you think is embedded in those systems? What do you think? And right, it's like embedded in those systems. So, and, and so much of what is, um, Unfair. While we, you know, many ways look towards the Constitution as you know the possible way out, you know, I believe the way that we relate to Constitution is aspirational, and there's nothing wrong with aspiration. But as long as we have a document that is the guiding force of the nation, that by someone's interpretation, by someone's interpretation, by a set of four people, five people's interpretation, can relegate any body, any being to subhumanities, to subvalue, to, uh, to, to lacking of essential rights to health and wellness and thriving. It is the wrong document. It's the wrong document for me. Uh, and so I, I think that the ideal design begins with, I don't want to say what I think, what, what it actually is, but I think it begins with a reconciliation, a reckoning with that, that we don't have the right design and a reconciliation that uh, says that we're here now together and we have to come up with something, a structure of government governance of representation and guiding principles that include all of us, including, uh, you know, with all of the misfortune, those of us, those of them that would have it different. It, it, actually, it actually has to conclude them. And I, I don't know what that all looks like, um, but it does have to include who who is here? We we don't have in a way to throw people to. I remember once you and you and I were talking, and you said, "And we have to deal with the reality that these documents did not envision me at all, and we need founding documents that we all are envisioned in, and that we all create together." Did I remember that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I talk about. That's what the hashtag New America is. Yeah. Uh, is this idea, which is, you know, um, many people would find, you know, <laughs> you know, like, and you can see if you had the moment of, you know, that, like how deeply it's in you, right? Like how oh. deeply it's in you that this is somehow, you know, something that, that is, you know, almost godlike. It's like, it can't be Indeed. put asunder. Indeed. Well, to real quick anecdotes that I think about in a great deal. One is that I've heard um, about another family and it's a white family, white skin family in, in the South. And the grandmother um, is in the process of dying with dementia and probably Alzheimer's. And her systemic racism is in her so deeply that she seems to have no choice but to treat the people who are caring for her in a derogatory, dehumanizing way. And that being so ingrained in someone, I mean, we're gonna to get to in a minute how you and I and all humanity can have some kind of transformative change as you talk about. And then the other is a new friend of mine here in Atlanta saying how angry she stays at how much she's having to relearn. She's just having to relearn left and right. And um, I think that this new world that you, Angel, are so effectively calling us toward is going to have to be an acknowledgement of how really tough and deeply ingrained all of this is in people, as well as how much work of relearning there is going to have to go on. Yeah, one of the things that I, I said, you know, it's not work. And one of the challenges is we say it's work. And uh, I said to the, uh, my dear brother, Resma Medicum, you know, it's it's labor. You know, uh, it's oh, toil. It's ooh. toil. And, and, that's, and that's what brother, you know, John Lewis talked about when he said good trouble, right? Uh, because 
labor is labor is toil and toil means trouble right it's like something's trouble it, it means so work we have like a beginning a middle and we expect it to end so when we relate it to his work there there's a sense of like it, it ought to be over i should check up check the boxes do the things read the thing and you know and then it will uh you know fix itself or i'll be i'll be done it's actually labor and we have to see it as good labor we have to see it as good trouble it's it's good toil it's something that we um, put our backs into and we expect that we are going to continue to uh to to work with this um, and and see it as our own unfolding which is why it's so important that people really understand that this is um, it's a practice of one's own liberation. You know, this is not on behalf of you know someone else. It's great if it you know benefits other people, and it will. And I and of course I want that. But I think one of the most clear things that has come to me from my work uh, in radical dharma is that at the end of the day, if people are not understanding things, you know ultimately that it is for their own benefit. Even when we talk about oneness, right? We do things out of oneness. It's we're, we're seeing ourselves in there. That when it really hits the fan, if we see that we have the possibility of an exit, then most of us, except the saints, <laughs> such as yourself, Ed, <laughs> will, will run for the door. And we can't afford that. No. So we no. have to be honest with people. And we have to tell them that they have skin in the game. They always have. My heart is is swelling and warming because when you use the word labor as an alternate to the word work, it also carried the nuance of labor and childbirth. Mm -hmm. um, Arundhati Roy wrote this amazing essay uh, in October uh, called The Pandemic as Portal. Mm. And so I've been using that as a mantra. Mm -hmm. And another way of thinking about it is all of the viruses that we are trying to vaccinate against right now, from the virus of coronavirus to systemic racism to on and on and on, that we uh, need to be in a kind of a birth canal and that we know that we are laboring for a new world yes that's what turns me on yeah yeah we are laboring and you know i, I want to offer this and the challenge that uh, with that exists when we talk about systemic racism is that it lives out there somewhere yeah and um i i use the term racialization to 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 connote that something was done and that it has a process to it. Some, and someone did something, just like we don't say, you know, someone was a slave, they were enslaved, right? There isn't just slavery, there was enslavement. It is to say, so there, it's not just there's race, race in, in, in race is a construct, but it's not inherently a problem all by itself that there's, you know, this, but there's racialization and the process that undergirds racialization connotes meaning and impact that that each of us have to navigate and if it's just out there somewhere i think that we i'm afraid that we will miss it um and you know that's what gives me hope too because i i know that when people turn to it when they understand it as labor and and they enter into these conversations and this this effort that we bring to this 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 returning again and again um, in the same way that we we labor with people that we love, you know, we we labor in relationships, we labor over gardens, we labor over everything that is, um, you know, that we're bringing to fruition. We, you know, out of out of our effort, which is quite different than creation, you know, which is something out of nothing, and we instead. We're, we're, we're working with what we have. We're working with our challenges. We're working with our missteps. We're working with our ignorances. We're working with the, the pain of real, coming to realization that we, we, did, we don't know what we ought to have known. 
And so uh, there's a beauty in, in, in labor rather than creation in this instance, because it, it allows us to bring the whole of ourselves to this, right? And, and allows us to also do it side by side because we can labor side by side. I love it. We've got to wrap up, but I, I, I don't want to leave without. So there are so many levels on which we have to work or invited to work. I'm sorry, we're invited to labor. Oh, <laughs> yes. oh and, and, and speaking of, you're helping me with language. Thank you for saying what you've just said about racialization as distinct from systemic racism, because that may be mm -hmm. why it's not, it's not kind of catching. It's not getting mm -hmm. traction. You know, mm -hmm. Maria Shriver talked with us that night about it, things not having traction when we had dinner with her. Okay. Um, uh, and systemic racism may not be getting traction because it is a way of thinking and yeah, out there. And so in light of the time, um, you and I will forever find one another and have more <laughs> conversations. Um, I do want to rem remember and recall back to the conversation with Richard Rohr that night. Um, and he was talking about how important contemplation is. And, um, and you said, again, I love the way you love people when you address them and then lower the boom. It's not lowering the boom, it's uh, turning on the light. Let me put it that way, Angel. Um, you said, Father Rohr, I've known people personally who, who, have, who have sat in contemplation for 30 years and they're still assholes. And um, so then you and I had a conversation about what is it that we want in our contemplative lives, in our sitting lives, that calls for this transformative change that you embody in your life's work is all about, and that will lead to a new design, our choosing, creating a new design. Mm -hmm. It's remembering. You know, it's it's choosing to remember. And so we can contemplate just what is as it is. And since that's been presented to us, we've inherited it. We, uh, we you know, we don't even know where it comes. We can just take it for granted. And so there's a choice to remember more deeply. And when I say remember, it's like remember to, 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 to remember, to make ourselves whole again by the truth of information that's that's cognitive and 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 uh, and knowledge based by the 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 truth of reconnecting to our bodies so choosing to be embodied and to um to to really you know interrogate the the culture of distraction that has so many of us caught so that we're not we're not in our bodies uh, and if we're not in our bodies i i said to someone once you know they were saying you know so and so is doing you know with some you know people somebody they've been caught you know doing another thing pants down kind of thing and i said well you know, you can't hold them accountable because they can't be, nobody can be held accountable for something that they can't be responsible for. And they can't be responsible for it if they can't feel it. Mm -hmm. they can't, you, you cannot commit someone to responsibility for something if they can't actually feel themselves responsible. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, if you're not in your body, you, you can't be responsible for pretty much anything. And I think that's why we have such flagrant, um, uh, you know, bypassing of all sorts of things that you would just think, wow, you know, as a human being, how, how could you? Well, if you're not there, that's how you could, you know, and you can, and you can read a Bible, you could read sutras and text and Torah and Quran and not be there. They're empty words passing through this shell and there's nothing to act upon it. There's no divine connection to the earth, to to truth, to, to, to God, to, to Allah, there's no connection so that you can act upon. And then, so then all you are is this, you know, empty shell uh, passing words through you. So we have to be embodied, you know, and we have to choose to rem remember, to bring our bodies back whole again. And, and, and that is not easy. So I'm going to be honest, it's not easy to, to feel all of what one has not been feeling. There's a reason we distract ourselves because um, there's, a, there's a lot of pain in there when we face what we've been able to avoid.
Can you do it without a sangha? Do you have to have community to? No. You have to have community. You have to have community. Thank you for asking. You, you absolutely have to. You know, I talk about this notion of like, we have to uh, find out, have our uh, return to our own being and practice building the muscle of returning to our own being. But that, that goes into our, uh, can go into our like dichotomous minds and binary minds where we go, oh, my own being is like my own. And I'm not like, no, it's not that kind of own. Um, it's not possible without a relationship, without community, without sangha, without, um, without you know this this commitment and recognition of the integral relationship that we have with the with all others all so-called others without oneness without a recognition of our oneness it is it's yeah. what inspires us to do it yeah. yeah um i just got choked up um <laughs> i think that's such powerful stuff and the reason i got choked up is because you were speaking truth and this is very difficult labor and we cannot do it without our sangha without community and i flashed on all the powerful community i'm in i mean angel this past wednesday night we started a study of the book cast with mm. ebenezer baptist church and you know ebenezer baptist church yes. and saint luke's yes. episcopal church and there were 500 of us mm studying at the same time and we were feeling the sangha we were mm -hmm. feeling the community and mm -hmm. we prayed together this cacophony of musicality at the very end that was just like the beloved community and mm -hmm. then smaller communities i'm having now and then the other reason i got chucked up is because you and i are in sangha yes we do yes i mean that's so powerful And you know this is this is um, contrary to what has been written in this in in the in the encoding of our the DNA of this country you know the sort of rugged individualism and so what I say to people is like none of us learned white supremacy alone we can't unlearn it alone none of us learned um, you know no, none of us learned misogyny alone we didn't learn all kinds of these. Uh, corrupted human behaviors. We didn't learn them alone, so we cannot unlearn them alone. Thank you, Angel. This has been heaven for me. It really has. Thank you it's so, so much. It's so good to see you. It's great it's so, to see you. so good to see you, yeah. Until next Thank time you. and our next learning and loving time together. Okay, let's make it soon. Let's make it soon. Yeah. Thanks Thank so, you. so much. Hang on just a second. Thank you everybody for being with us. Uh, ah, what a thrilling moment. And uh, we'll be playing this over and over and over again for quite a while. And please stay tuned uh, for next week. We will have another wonderful conversation. Goodbye.